Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the very good kings here in the Old Testament. Hezekiah, if you remember with us correctly, if you haven't been with us the last few weeks as we've been doing our study through Chronicles, you remember how the kingdom was? We had Saul that was the first king, and after Saul was David, and after David was Solomon. Then the kingdom split. And so we have the northern tribes that are known as Israel, and we have the southern tribes that are known as Judah. Southern tribes consisted of Benjamin and Judah. Chronicles follows the southern tribes, follows the kingdom of Judah here. And we're in this pattern of good king, bad king, kind of good king, bad king. Hezekiah is a good king. There's four chapters devoted to him. He was a contemporary of Isaiah. And so you hear a lot about Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah. But the king before him, his dad, was an awful king. The king that follows him, Manasseh, is one of the worst kings ever. But during this reign of Hezekiah, you really see a spiritual focus getting back to where it was supposed to be. So as we talked about last week in 2 Chronicles 29, when Hezekiah started reigning, he first off, he opened up the temple, cleaned up the temple, and basically got the temple up and running again. His dad before him had basically shut down the temple and made idol worship the religion of Judah. So he gets the temple cleaned up, he cleans out all the rubbish from it, and he gets it up and going. And we left off last week with them getting the Passover getting started. So what we're going to pick it up here tonight is we're going to pick up with them actually starting this event and getting ready for it. This is the way I want want you to look at Hezekiah. Hezekiah is a picture of you and I as a believer almost restarting in the Lord, refreshing ourselves in the Lord, recommitting ourselves to the Lord. The nation of Israel was in an awful spot, awful spot. Temple closed down, idol worship all over the place. Literally the temple was locked up and done with. Hezekiah comes in and says, we're going to open up the temple again and restart. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to get a copy of that. We talked about restarting in our lives. So Hezekiah is a picture of us recommitting to the Lord. And you're going to see that as we go through this tonight. So starting in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 20, I want you to listen for two words here on the first few verses. Killed in blood. Killed in blood. Verse 20. Then King Hezekiah rose early, gathered the rulers of the city, and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs. And sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly. And they laid their hands on them. And the priests killed them. And they presented the blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all of Israel. Now in my New King James translation, the word killed and the word blood is both used four times. This has been a very bloody scene. My first job... Other than being raised on a farm and helping dad with the pigs and bailing, etc. But my first job outside of being on the farm is I used to kill the clean, uh, clean the kill floor at a butcher shop. And so I was the one that went in after they got done butchering and would separate the leftover body parts, clean up all the blood, etc. That's a bloody mess. It is a mess. And what you see going on here is this death just happening again and again. Animals are being killed. There's blood all over the place. And verse 23, then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king of the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. Now, why do you lay your hands on them? Because laying your hands on them shows basically the transference of sin. It's symbolic. By putting their hand on that goat, and that goat then being killed, the way they used to do it on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is they would take two One would be killed to represent your sins being taken care of, and the other one would be let free, and the goat would run away. 
And then when you got to the point where you couldn't see the goat anymore, everybody would go crazy and rejoice and have a party. Because it was a picture of your sin disappearing. So by them laying hands on the goat, they're saying, we are giving our sin to this animal, and this animal is becoming the sacrifice of sin. You can see how it becomes a picture of Jesus. We were not at the foot of the cross, literally. But my fingerprints are all over the cross. Because it's my sin that led Jesus to being killed on the cross. And so therefore, I have transferred my sin to him. But there's an interesting word here in verse 24. It says that they make atonement for all of Israel. Atonement. Atonement is a fancy word that just means it covers it up. This blood, this killing, covered up all of Israel's sin. But it could never take care of it. Our first point tonight is sacrifice. Understanding the sacrifice of Christ. If you really want to know Jesus, you've got to understand the sacrifice of Christ. Everything goes back to the cross. You know, we use this little phrase a lot about the crux of the matter. C-R-U-X. Crux is really the Greek word, excuse me, it's a Latin word for cross. So when you say it's the crux of the matter, you're really saying it's just all about the cross. Everything goes back to the cross. Can you go with me to Hebrews chapter 9, please? Hebrews chapter 9. All these animals are being killed. There's blood all over. They're laying hands on the animal to show a transferring of sin. This is all building up to Jesus. Hebrews 9, please. Look here in Hebrews 9. Let's start in verse 21. We're going to do a quick little thing through Hebrews 9 and 10 to show us how we get to Jesus. Hebrews 9, verse 21. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there's no remission. So right there, it's our first point. You've got to have the shedding of blood. When there's sin... Something has to die to pay for that sin. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. What was Adam and Eve's great idea? We're going to cover ourselves with leaves. Okay, that didn't work. So what had to happen? They were then covered with animal skins. The first murder, the first killing that took place happened. Why? Because Adam and Eve sinned and those animals had to die. That's a picture from the beginning. Sin brings forth death. Sin has to be covered up. Sin has to have blood to cover it up. You see how it builds to Jesus. My sin brought forth death. I'm going to die. My sin brought forth death, the death of Jesus. My sins have to have atonement, which means covered up. And my sin can only be covered up by the blood of Jesus. But right here, the blood of animals are covering up the sin. Well, that should take care of it, right? No. Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Verse 1, the law will never make you perfect. No matter how many animals you kill, no matter how much blood is spilled, it can never take away your sins. Look at verse 2. For then, why would they not have ceased to be offered? He says, if animal sacrifice could really take away your sin, why do we have to keep killing animals? Verse 2, for the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. The Old Testament law was a picture of sin being taken care of. Look at verse 4. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It's not possible. The system that God set up in the Old Testament, the whole purpose of these animals being sacrificed, was just to cover up your sin. Atonement. 
to cover it up. Covering it up to get to the point of what? Verse 11, chapter 10. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jump back to verse 10, same chapter. But that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is what it means to have atonement. Atonement is a covering of sin by the blood. Now, in the Old Testament, atonement is the covering of your sin by the blood of an animal. It didn't take it away, but it just basically covered it up until Jesus can do it. For us today, when we talk about the atonement of Christ, it's Christ's blood that did it once, once, took away all of our sins. Did not have to keep being repeated again and again and again. It took care of all of our sins just once. So when you see this here in 2 Chronicles 29, them laying hands on the animals, the animals being killed, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus, of what he had to go through on the cross. And when they put those hands on those animals, it's really a picture of us, our sin, our hands going on Christ, and him taking care of the sins of the world for us. Any quick questions, comments about that? It's important to understand atonement as we move on. Okay, yeah, David. Absolutely right. If you go all the way back to Genesis, when um, they got off the ark, and I think it's in Genesis chapter 9, God says the life is in the blood. So that's why it's blood, because blood represents life. So by being covered in the blood, you're covered in life. Yeah. Bros. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your, your sin runs away, and you never see it anymore. I mean, isn't it a beautiful picture? I mean, that's the amazing thing about the Lord. Is, and we talked about this, oh, it was probably last year on a Sunday. God, for as amazing as he is, has the worst memory of anybody you can ever imagine. Because he just forgets your sins. When you say, Lord, I confess to you I have sinned, I don't forget that sin. I'm reminded of it daily through guilt and condemnation. People will remind me of my sin. I'll remind other people of their sins. But if I go back to God and say, Lord, I want to talk to you again about that sin I confess to you, God says, I don't know, I don't know what you're talking about. Because he's forgotten it. It's not a beautiful picture. It's forgotten. As far as the east is from the west. Gotta love that. Anybody else have anything here about atonement before we move on? Okay. Once you understand atonement and understand what Jesus has done, there's only one natural reaction to something so supernatural, and that's to worship. Verse 25. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, with harps, according to the commandment of David, of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. And what did they do? Verse 27, Hezekiah commanded them to offer the burnt offering on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began with the trumpet and with the instruments of David, king of Israel. As they're offering up these sacrifices, they got worship going on in the background. You're going to see in verses 28, 29, and 30, the word worshiped mentioned each time. Verse 28, so all the assembly worshiped. The singers sang and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. There's worship. Verse 29, and when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshipped. Worship is equality in the sense of no one is too big to worship. Here's the king worshipping. 
We all serve the amazing same God. Verse 30, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads, and they worshipped. Same thing happens today. When you really understand atonement, what Jesus did for you, the only natural reaction to something so supernatural is just to worship. Hebrews talks about this. In Hebrews 13, 15, it talks about bringing the sacrifice of praise. But it just amazes me how often worship... I don't think we really fully understand worship. Worship's not about us. It's not about the songs we want to hear. It's not about being played the way we want it played. It's supposed to be about the Lord. And I tell you, it's difficult to get a group of believers together and have us all agree on the same style, the same volume, the same songs, the same style. You can't do it. There has to come a time and a place where we come in corporately and we just say, you know what, that's maybe not the way I would play it. It's not the way I would sing it. But I'm just going to worship because God is God. And I tell you, corporate worship, you know, if you're out here, it happens on Wednesday evening. It happens on Sunday morning. But you've got seven days a week, 24 hours a day, basically, to worship the way you want to. And I just highly encourage you, make that a time in your car. Make that a time alone with the Lord. And worship does not necessarily involve singing or music. Sometimes worship is just making melody in your heart. Sometimes it's just a praise of worship. It's a prayer of worship. But the reaction to what Jesus has done is always going to be worship. Because you just, wow, Lord. Worship, not about me, not about what I'm going through. But, Lord, I want to forget everything I'm dealing with right now and just really focus on you. So our first phrase was sacrifice. After sacrifice, we have worship. What's going on now? Verse 31, Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. As many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. Now you've got to know a little bit about Old Testament sacrifices here. And I'm just going to let you know I love Old Testament sacrifices. The book of Leviticus I, I just find fascinating. When you go back and you read Leviticus 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, you read about the sacrifices, you, you, you can't read it from the perspective of, I'm, I'm trying to understand what they're doing. Because if you try to understand what they're doing, it doesn't make any sense. You need to understand why they're doing it. And you have to look at it through the lens of Jesus. When you read Old Testament sacrifices, always look at it through the eyes of Jesus. How does this represent Christ? So with the burnt offering, back in Leviticus chapter 1, burnt offering is a complete burnt offering. The animal is completely burnt up. What does that show? Complete devotion. Complete devotion to the Lord. But here's the key thing about a burnt offering in Leviticus 1. It was not required. It's completely free will. So when you go read the rules in Leviticus 1 about a burnt offering, the key verse is verse 3. Free will. And that's what it's talking about here in verse 31. And as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. It's a free will thing. You, you, we talked about this Sunday. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read. You don't have to witness. You don't have to share. You don't have to serve. You don't have to do any of those things. Because if you did those things, that's a forced sacrifice. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to willfully give up the burnt offering. I want you to willfully go look at your flock, pick out that best bull, that best ram, that best sheep, and say, I'm willing to sacrifice it to the Lord. Not because I have to, because I choose to. Do you realize, jumping back thousands of years ago, the financial sacrifice of getting rid of your best animal? That's faith. That's free will. 
You don't have to do it. They chose to. That's amazing. The story goes that the farmer decided that he was going to offer up one of his animals to the Lord. And he was blessed. And he found out that they had twin animals. So as he was trying to figure out which animal to offer up to the Lord, weeks went by, months went by, years went by, and one of the twin animals died. He went and told his wife, well, I guess the Lord decided to take him. See? You get the joke, the animal died in the Lord. It's kind of funny. Um, I was about to say maybe it was the way it was presented, but no, I'm not going to take that blame right now. My shoulders are not going to carry that load. It's a funny joke. The point is, he didn't sacrifice to the Lord. He gave what was easy. He gave what was simple. A burnt offering, total free will sacrifice, dedicated to the Lord, complete offering. Can't stress that enough. Nothing has changed in thousands of years. God is still asking for a burnt offering. He's not going to force you into it. He's going to ask you. He's going to say, hey, would you do this for me? Hey, would you spend this time with me? Hey, would you let go of that finance right now just to trust me that I'm going to lead and guide you through this? He's going to ask for your best, not because he's power hungry, not because he's greedy, because he wants you to walk in faith and say, I trust that the Lord's going to see me through as I offer up the best to him, free will, not coerced. So there's all these burnt offerings that come. It's kind of amazing. Verse 32, and the number of the burnt offerings which the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, 200 lambs. All these were a burnt offering to the Lord. The consecrated things were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. That's a lot of animals. So many animals, verse 34, but the priests were too few, so they could not skin all the burnt offerings. Therefore, their brethren, the Levites, helped them until the work was ended, until the other priests had sanctified themselves. For the Levites were more diligent in sanctifying themselves than the priests. Now, if you weren't with us Sunday, we talked about the Sabbath. We're going through Matthew and Jesus healing on the Sabbath. And that was a big no-no. But we talked about how it was more important to show grace and mercy than rules. Now, if you weren't with us Sunday, we talked about when I say following rules, I don't mean moral doctrine. It was the rules of man that they created, that good always triumphs rules. And we gave examples that Jesus gave. David ate the showbread, which was not allowed. The priest working on the Sabbath, etc. If you're a rules person, dot your I, cross your T. Look at verse 34. The Levites aren't supposed to do this. This is a huge no. Only the priests are allowed to sacrifice animals. But guess what? The spirit was moving. The people were receptive. God wanted to move in Israel and the people wanted it. God says, you know what? Levites jump in. Jesus kind of liked to break rules. Every time Jesus touched a leper, what was he doing? Breaking the rules. You're not allowed to touch the lepers. But grace always triumphs rules. Mercy triumphs rules. Good triumphs rules. The rules are only the priest. Yeah, but verse 34, God's moving and working. Levites, we need you to jump in here and help. And I love that. It's grace. It's mercy. It's just get in there, get involved, get your hands dirty. And guess what the result of all this is? Verse 36, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. Okay, God's moving and working. They got animals being sacrificed. People are rejoicing. This is this amazing time. Remember, this is a picture of us rededicating to the Lord. We talked about last week, our temple, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Gets cleaned up, gets cleared up. The next result is sacrificing to the Lord. Really understanding atonement and sacrifice. Then we talked about worship. And then we talked about how it's a free will offering to the Lord. We don't have to, we choose to. Now, you're so excited about what the Lord is doing in your life. 
You're so excited about how God is moving. Guess what you're going to do now? You're going to tell everybody. Verse 1, 2 Chronicles 30. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover of the Lord God of Israel. Now, what we're talking about here, remember back to our introduction. You got Israel and you got Judah. Now, Israel is also known as Ephraim and Manasseh. Those are the larger tribes. So what he's doing... The tribes of Judah and Benjamin, a separate kingdom, now are sending out letters to all 12 tribes of Israel saying, come join us in the Passover. Put aside our differences. Put aside the wars that we fought. Because what matters most at this point right now is just you coming to this event. Hey, have you ever been that just excited about the Lord that you just can't help but I just I hope I get to talk to somebody today. I hope I just get a chance to share the Lord. I hope I get to invite somebody to church. I hope I get a chance to just to say, hey, how can I pray for you? They're excited. Invite everybody. This is great. This is fun. Come here and be a part of this. It reminds me of Matthew 22, where Jesus gives the parable. They gave this great feast, and they invited these people. And the people represent Israel, and Israel didn't want to come. So the master of the feast says, go into the highways and byways and just invite anybody you see. And that's the picture of Christianity. Invite anybody you want to see. Invite them. Just come. Just just come. Anybody, the doors open, come hear about the Lord. We've been praying about possibly getting involved and doing a little short-term missions trip up to uh, Dearborn, Michigan. I got contacted by a guy. And if you don't know this or not, Dearborn, I think it, I still think, has the largest population of Muslims in, uh, in America, in the United States. So this guy goes up, and what he does is he goes door-to-door in the middle of Dearborn and invites kids to VBS. And he said last year they had over 50 Muslim kids come to a VBS. And so he said, would your church like to get involved with this? It's like, that's exciting. Going up into the, to the people and just saying, would you like to come hear about the Lord? And he says, it's amazing. You, you, he says, they'll invite you in for tea. You'll sit down, you'll talk to them. They'll invite you in for supper. And he goes, here's this group that you would think would have no interest, but yet they're searching. They're searching for something because they know they don't have the right fulfillment. And so you get a chance to go literally door to door and represent Jesus Christ to the Muslim population up in Dearborn. Boy, is that not going into the highways and byways? Pray about that. We're hoping to get involved with that. That'd be sometime in uh, late June, early July. And as we get more information, if the Lord's leading, we'll, we'll announce that. But that's what it is. Just go invite people. See where the Lord moves. See where the Lord goes with it. So they invite everybody. And so everybody comes. But if you're real quick on this, check out verse 2. They agreed to keep the Passover in the second month because they did not keep it at the regular time. Because a sufficient number of priests had not consecrated themselves, nor had the people gathered together at Jerusalem. See, the rules say you have to do the Passover on the 14th of the first month. But in Numbers chapter 9, God says, I'll give you sometimes a little bit of a break if you have other things going on. And you can do Passover the second month. If you remember correctly, last week, the temple was in such disarray. It took them that long to get it cleaned up that they couldn't get ready in time to do the Passover. So now the Passover happens on the second month. Just a little bit of something there. So they're running out, verse 6. Runners went throughout all of Israel and Judah. And here's the message they give, verse 6. Children of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Then he will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. The key word here is return. Verse 7, do not be like your fathers and your brothers who trespass against the Lord, God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation as you see. Now, do not be stiff-necked, do not be rebellious as your father's word. Yield yourselves to the Lord. 
enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. Serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return, there's our word again, if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. Grace and mercy. And he will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Basically, simple message. Return. Repent. Grace. Mercy. Gosh, the longer I walk with the Lord, it's all about grace and mercy. It's just that's what it comes down to. It's just grace. God giving us salvation when we don't deserve it. Mercy. God pulling us out of hell when we don't deserve it. When you really look at the gospel message and that idea of grace and mercy, why would you not want to tell everybody you run into? I just want to tell you about grace and mercy. I'm not trying to push an agenda. I'm not trying to push a church. I'm not trying to push a ministry. I just want to tell you about Jesus. Grace and mercy. What a beautiful message. Come back to it. Now, what happens when you share your faith? Verse 10. Well, some laughed at them and mocked them. Verse 11. Some humbled themselves. And verse 12. Some obeyed the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord. Right there, verses 10, 11, and 12 sums up sharing your faith. You share your faith, guess what? Verse 10, some laugh and mock at you. Verse 11, some humble themselves and listen. Verse 12, some obey. Just real quick, and I know you guys know this, you can't take it personally. You can't. I ran into somebody recently and invited them to church, talked to them a little bit about the Lord, and I got a pleasant little smile, and I don't know. The Holy Spirit will work on their heart. We'll see. I I can't take that personally. I can't take it personally when someone mocks me and someone laughs at me or someone hates me or threatens me because they're really just upset at Jesus, not me. Sometimes they humble themselves. Sometimes they obey. But here's the thing. I got a a missionary friend that made a comment a year or two ago and it really hit me. He goes, we've got to change how we keep score. He goes, the way most churches keep score is just numbers. Because it's not about numbers. It's about people coming to know Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And, and you have to understand that you may not get the pleasure, the, the thrill of leading that person to Christ. You may just plant a seed and never see anything come out of it. You may water a seed that somebody else has planted. The more I study out 1 Corinthians 3, the more I realize it is just this body of Christ working together. Some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. You're here tonight. Hey, I'm going to plant and water. We'll see what happens. I don't know what will happen. You may not be here next week. You may not be here Sunday. We still love you. We're going to plant and water no matter what. No matter who shows up, you just love them. Some laugh, some mock, some humble, some obey. You can't do anything about it. So the people that did show up, verses 13 through 16, they get in their spots. Verse 15, they slaughter the Passover lambs. The event happens. But guess what? These people that came from the north, from Israel, they're dirty. They're disgusting. They're sinners. They weren't clean. They weren't consecrated. What are we going to do? There's rules. There's rules in the Old Testament. Before you can do Passover, you got to do this, 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 and this. Well, verse 17. There were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. For a multitude of the people, many from Ephraim, Manasseh, Ishakar, Zebulon, had not cleansed themselves. Yet they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. So they're dirty. They're just complete, dirty, ugly sinners. What do you do? 
What should we do to those dirty, ugly sinners? I think that's where you just open the doors and say, come in, right? See, look what happens, verse 18. Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God and the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. If you ever try to convince yourself that God in the Old Testament is just this rules-following God, then you're completely missing this passage. God says, the only thing I care about here is what? Your heart, verse 19. So you're not ceremonially clean. You're dirty. But you know what? Your heart's here and your heart wants it, and that's what matters to me. Gosh, we've got to get back to that focus. Because so often as believers, isn't this the truth? I have come to the conclusion Christians are usually the most judgmental people I've ever met. They are. The whole point of what we're supposed to be doing is going into the highways and the byways of the people that no one wants to be with or talk to or be around. And we're supposed to love them. They're not clean. If they were clean, why are we sharing Christ with them? They're dirty. They don't got it. They're not figured out. Their heart is willing to look and search. Then we just love them. We just love them and point them towards the truth of Christ. And when they come to know Christ and they get born again and saved, guess what? All that dirt... It's made clean in Christ, and all of a sudden you're going to see a heart that says, I want to change. I want to change. Remember, salvation is from the inside out. Morality is from the inside out. We have reached a point as a society where your inside may be disgusting, but as long as you look good morally on the outside, I'm happy with you. No. I want you from the inside out to know Christ, to know Him personally. And when you come to know Christ, then the outside will change. The outside is not changing until you know Christ on the inside. So, they come, they are hearing, and guess what the result is again? Worship. Same thing. When you understand the sacrifice of Christ, the only natural response to something supernatural is worship. Verse 21, what are they doing? Thus, they're singing praises. Okay, verse 22, they're being encouraged. Verse 23, this is so exciting, let's do it for another seven days. Can you imagine that? Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days and keep it another seven days with gladness. Can you imagine on a Sunday morning, it hits 1130, and you guys just all stop and say, wow, let's do another hour and a half. Yeah, that ain't happening. But can you imagine if it did? That's what they did. Let's go another seven days. This is so exciting. Verse 28, let's rejoice. Excuse me, verse 25, let's rejoice. Verse 26, there's joy again. And verse 27 sums it up. Then the priests, the Levites, arose, blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. Amen. This is revival happening. This is the Lord moving and working. Now, before we get to chapter 31, anybody got any quick questions, comments here about anything? Yeah, Ryan. Yes. Chapter 30, verse 6, it says, The remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Syria. Mm-hmm. So, Hezekiah's campaign about 715 BC, that was a few years after the northern tribes ceased to exist as an independent nation. Yeah, I think it was 722, and you got to remember with BC, the dates work backwards. Um, so, yeah, it was about seven years after Assyria came and took out the northern tribes. So, this is a pretty run down, beat up group of people at this time. And so, their heart was open to the Lord. So, yeah, Kathy. Um, in verse 10, we have Ephraim, Manasseh, and Zebulon, 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 and Zeb
You know, and, and that's kind of the gospel message is you scatter the seeds. And you never know who it's going to take effect with. And, you know, it always kind of amazes me when, when I teach in front of a group of people. You never know what people hear. You never know what they take out of the message. You never know what they hear. You scatter the seeds. And just like you said, you could have the same family there. Some get it, some don't, some laugh, some mock. Isn't that fascinating? Some show up. Yeah, that's some show up. Some do, some don't. Mm-hmm. The ones that mock are the ones that get saved. And, you know, uh, one of my favorite stories from a pastor's conference years ago, the guy was telling about how uh, front row, right to his left, a wife finally brought her husband to church. Husband finally came, I should say, and basically lasted about five minutes into the message and then just completely, utterly fell asleep. And it was one of those fall asleeps, head back, snoring type of sleep, you know, not even trying. I mean, I, and I, you think I'm joking and I'm not. Every single Sunday somebody falls asleep. I see it. I'm used to it by now. It's like, okay, I can't. You know, I get over that. But this guy just completely, utterly falls asleep. Well, the pastor ends the message with an altar call. And as he ends the altar call, the wife elbows the husband, wakes up, comes forward, gets saved. Got saved. You know, because you know what? He heard what he needed to hear. He heard the gospel and he responded. And David brings up a good point. Sometimes the people that are the most hostile, sometimes the people are the most mocking, are also the ones the Holy Spirit's convicting the most. If you've got a loved one at home and they are just almost anti-Christ... I tell you, I bet you the Lord's working more in their heart than what you could ever imagine. Because that's what we do. We usually mock and hate those things that are really convicting us. Anybody else have anything here before I finish up? Okay, we're at a spiritual high. Verse 27, spiritual high. Here's the hard part about Christianity. You come to a worship service. You come to a Wednesday night. You come to a prayer group. You come to a Sunday. Fill in the blank. We just get done with communion. And you feel like you could take on the world. You make those little promises to yourself. When I get home, I'm going to really get into the book of John. I'm going to shut my TV off in the evening. I'm really going to share my faith tomorrow at work. Or I really think they're going to be different. And, and you have this emotional, spiritual high. You get in your car, and by the time you get home, you're back to life. Or I'm really going to go into work tomorrow. It's going to be different. You go into work tomorrow, and it's the worst day ever. So all of a sudden, Jesus kind of gets pushed off to the side. Or I'm really going to read tonight, and things pop up. Chapter 31 is the practical chapter of you can't just live on the mountaintop. you got to go back home. And when you go back home, what are you going to do? Now that you are sacrificed, you understand atonement, you got the worship, you're on fire for Christ, what are you going to do when you get home? Verse 1. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, and they broke the sacred pillars in places, cut down the wooden images, threw down the high places and the altars from all Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possessions. They go home and they clean up house. I love that. They go home and they say, I want things to be different. We can't go back home to our idols. We can't go back home to our high places. I can't. I can't go back home and watch that same television show. I can't go back home and listen to that same music. I can't go back home and treat my spouse that way anymore. I can't be that type of worker anymore. It's not a have to. It's a want to. So they change. 
And what else do they do to keep this going? Verse 2, Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to the divisions, each man according to his service. The priests and Levites were burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. He says, you know what, guys? The way we're going to keep this going is we're going to get the system back up and going again. The priests, the Levites, this had all been shut down during his dad's time. What does this show? It's the body of Christ coming together. You really want things to be different? Get an accountability partner. Now, remember with accountability, accountability will not make you go deeper in Christ. Accountability will just remind you to go deeper in Christ. I've had some people that wanted me to be their accountability partner, and I'm fine with that. I will encourage you with the Lord, but I can't be Jesus. I can encourage you in your walk with the Lord. I got a few guys that we meet with regularly on Saturday mornings. I love them, and we have that accountability, and it's that encouragement. But that's what it is. I'm encouraging them to go deeper. They're encouraging me to go deeper. But ultimately, I have to decide, Leviticus chapter 1, free will, give up the burnt offering. Am I something I'm willing to do? But here, the Levites show up and they said, we want to help. What do we want to do? We're going to sacrifice. Verse 3, the king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings. For the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbath, the new moons, the set feast, as is written in the law of the Lord. King set the example. He goes, I'm going to give of my own stuff. Verse 4, Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute to support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. The way the system was in the Old Testament, the priests and the Levites were supported by Israel. The priests and Levites were not allowed to own land. So therefore, they couldn't go out and raise their own crop. It was a faith thing that they had to trust that it was going to come in. The way they got their food is that they would go do certain offerings. And they had this long pole that had a poker at the end. And what would happen is as they were doing this sacrifice, they would kind of blindly stick that in. And whatever meat came out on that poker, that was their meat for the day. That's what they took home. Now, if you study out the Old Testament, what God got upset about the priest was is they started doing this. They started doing the sacrifice and they started watching the meat. And they would stick their poker in and start cooking and barbecuing. God says you can't do that. You have a faith thing too. You just stick it in. Whatever comes out, comes out. So it's all faith. And faith, they're giving up their possessions. In faith, the priests and Levites are trusting that this is going to work. One of the biggest sacrifices that God has ever asked us to do, not forced us to do, is to say, trust me. Trust me with your possessions. Trust me with your money. Trust me that when you give, you can never outgive me. He says, I always take care of you. What's the result of this? Verse 10. Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is this great abundance. They had so much stuff, verse 11, they have to build more rooms to house all this stuff. Because the people were so moved to do this. So moved. How does it finish up? Verse 20, same chapter. Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And every work that he began in the service of the house of God, and the law and the commandment to seek his God, he did it with all his heart, so he prospered. The key word I want you to focus on in verse 21 there is he did it with all his heart. This was eternal. This wasn't a force. This wasn't a have to. This is what he wanted to do. Hezekiah is a great king. Great king. And what we're going to find out next week, and this is what I really like about Hezekiah, is is in chapter 32, it's our last chapter on Hezekiah, it shows the reality of this man. The fears that he has, the success that he has, the failures that he has. The first three chapters is getting Israel back to where it wants to be. A picture of us, 
a picture of refreshing, regrouping, recommitting our life to the Lord. Understanding atonement, understanding worship, understanding sacrifice, and understanding the joy that comes out of a relationship where it says, Lord, you are number one. Man, that's the place to be. Hezekiah set that example for us. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up? All right, so next week, great chapter. I hope you can make it out for it. It is just a very real chapter on what Hezekiah goes through, and there is some great stuff in it, and we're going to get into Isaiah with it. I, I really hope you can make it out next week. It will be a real blessing. Now, as we get ready to close up here at the Word of Prayer, you are more than welcome after we're done to head to the back. Feel free to walk through. If there's something that will bless you, take it. Be blessed. If there's something you see that could bless somebody else, take it. Be blessed. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians that we're supposed to do good to all, but especially those of the household of the faith. And we want to do that. We want to bless you guys. If you see something, feel free to bless it. But really keep in prayer Thursday, Friday, Saturday. As people come out, that they really understand this whole picture of the freeness of the gospel. Because that's what matters more than anything. Hey, keep in prayer baptism. Keep in prayer... um, Youth trip going, Ladies' Day the 18th. Oh, I forgot to mention, there's a church work day the 25th. They're doing that shelter house back behind the church. Richard's getting a group of people together Saturday the 25th at 8 to build picnic tables and paint them. If that's something you want to get involved with, we'd appreciate your help with that as well. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. Lord, returning, that word just comes to my mind right now. You ask the people to return to you. Lord, help us. Help us to commit it all to you, to fully understand sacrifice, to fully understand atonement, to fully understand worship. Lord, it's not about us. It's not about this church. It's not about these four walls. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to live that, to represent that in all we do and all that we say, and we love you. Go before this garage sale giveaway. Bless them, especially bless Charlene and Michelle and Donna. I know there's many others serving, Lord, but those three gals are going to be out here a lot. Bless them as they just represent you to this community. Lord, we just want to see seeds planted for you. Prepare the hearts of the people. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you in your name. Amen. Hey, if you've got anything you want to pray about, come up here, grab me. If not, go back, have fun, be blessed, and we'll see you guys next week.